0: Beginning in verse 17, this is Acts chapter 5. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Verse 19, But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside." Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Verse 26, then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, "'We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us.' But Peter and the apostles answered, "'We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree.' God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Verse 34, But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel... So they took His advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Again this is God's word and let's us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for a day under the sound of your word. Maybe not like last week and maybe not like next week, but Lord we ask that you'll chase distraction from our minds. Lord that you'll focus our attention on this on this story that is true. Lord, may we learn something from these brave men. And, Lord, may you be pleased to use us in a way that furthers your kingdom. We thank you for the ability to do these things and to meet together such as it is. We thank you for that. And we ask all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, regardless of the way it may have been read... Um, I think this is categorized as, as high adventure as far as the scriptures go. Uh, these narratives as to the happenings of the early church, its uh, persecution and its victory over such things uh, is is quite the feast for the imagination. And uh, I thought what we'd do is just go for it as far as explaining what these Lines and details mean, and we'll arrange some points uh, at the end to kind of tie it all together and give it some organization. Um, but as far as a, a summary of, of what is said and what is taught, uh, the thrust of this passage, Jesus doesn't promise us much uh, as, as, as far as what we would consider to be security or the finer things in life, all of that is is for later. He doesn't promise us long life, he doesn't promise us riches or or physical health. Uh, he doesn't promise the triumph, uh, let alone the acceptance of Christian values and the marketplace of ideas, as far as how the world thinks. He doesn't promise a favorable response to the Word of God when taught or preached. In the world or even within places that call themselves churches, though they might not at all be, what Jesus does promise, what he's promised in this book we're studying, and his promises are good and can be trusted, are these, that his word will go to the ends of the earth, we're watching that take place as we read through the book of Acts, and he promised that he will be with us, that is his children, until the end of the age So, his word goes to the end of the earth. His presence remains until the end of the age. Those are promised. So, as such, no government, no law, no king or president, dictator or potentate will ever stop the word of God. Ever. Until he returns. That's not what this preacher or any preacher has said. This is what God's word says. So the stakes are high, and it's those who oppose this that are in trouble. We look at this passage as if it were a passage on the persecution of the church. It's not that at all. It's a passage on the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17 again. The high priest rose up, all that were with him, party of the Sadducees, filled with jealousy, arrest the apostles... And put them in jail. It's a pattern that we'll see over and over again. Different parties, different jails, but it's the same. It's God's apostles or those that are preaching. Uh, the disciples are imprisoned here. It says by the jealousy of the Sadducees. High priest rose up all that with him, filled with jealousy. That seems to be the, their their motive. Um, I remember a working definition of sorts when I was a kid. Jealousy meant that you wanted what somebody else had or you wanted to be what they were. Um, Which sometimes can be confusing because you wouldn't think of enemies wanting to be each other. But jealousy is the word used here. I, I think it's the boldness that these men have. The fact that they actually believe these things that they're all supposed to believe, but it looks like these really do, and it's convicting. It makes these Sadducees and Pharisees look bad. Probably hatred's not far from it. Uh, that's mentioned here too. But this is add to the to, to the idea that they'd already been told once not to teach. And now they've done it again, and they find themselves in the same place. So they must up the ante. And it seems as if they're uh, much more angry, much more jealous, much more hateful than they were the first time. Uh, the Sadducees are mentioned. This is a little different than the previous episode. Um, they're different than the Pharisees. They're two different parties. One was uh, had more power at that specific time in, in history. The difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees theologically had a lot to do with believing the supernatural or not. Uh, we're going to read where Paul starts an argument between the two by bringing up the thing they don't agree on, which is the resurrection. Uh, they don't believe that Jesus raised from the dead because they don't believe anybody raises from the dead, that... Even uh, an afterlife or angels or demons or a heaven. Anything supernatural isn't real. Don't know particularly like what they did with the idea of, of God. But maybe uh, much like some of our founding fathers thought. It was started by God like a clock and wound up. And then just sat on a shelf to tick away on its own. But there's a political difference between the two of these as well. The... Uh, The Sadducees were aristocratic. Uh, They had influence from way back. They were of the high priestly families. They were the old money. You might want to call it that. Uh, Had greater political power. The Pharisees were more business owners. Closer to the grassroots of the economy. But they didn't get along very well. Unless they had a common enemy. And their... Bewildered at some things we read here, Um, a great mystery to them why they hadn't been able to silence the apostles after having crucified their Lord. That comes up with what Gamaliel is going to say here in a moment. You'd think uh, when you're trying to squash the resistance, you cut the head off the snake. You've heard it said that way. Jesus is gone, but they still persist. Also, it's an even greater mystery that their threats had been absolutely useless that they continue to teach, and that they can't handle this problem is probably most hateful to them. Now, the public prison where they put the apostles, that's not at all like what we're familiar with. Um, When I lived in Virginia and uh, somewhere high school, I remember working with a fellow who spent half of his time at what we call the work farm. It was just a few miles down from the church. It's Pennsylvania County's uh, correctional facility. But this guy, somebody would pick him up in the morning, bring him to the used car lot where we worked. Uh, Somebody would pick him up at the end of the day. They would pack him a lunch. Usually half the time it came in an old bread bag. You know, after all the bread's gone, they just shove it all down, tie a knot in it. And uh, he was great to work with. I learned some stuff from this guy, but He could come and go, was allowed the ability to work. Um, Most of these days, we put our prisons away from where everybody can see. Uh, Even now, we try to make them look a little less like uh, prisons with big towers, plant a lot of bushes around, the barbed wire if necessary. Here was not unlike the way it went uh, in colonial America, where you put the jail right in the middle of the town square. And it was meant to be seen as a deterrent. Same with this. This was in the middle of the town. And not only that, you had to depend on other people for everything. They wouldn't feed you. Uh, In fact, they would watch who would come bring food to you. And they were put on a list as if to see whether or not they were in on what got you there in the first place. So you'd actually risk the fate of the prisoner to help the prisoner. Verse 19, we don't really read much about what happened after they were put into prison until later that night. Angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people. All the words of this life was what they were given or commanded. Uh, A lot of the commentaries like to say this could have been one of the disciples or followers of Jesus who happened to work with the guard and kind of let them out the back. That doesn't really go with the rest of the story because not only um, is it described as the angel of the Lord, which has significance elsewhere in Scripture, or the command to go and stand in the temple, which they obeyed, and then when we're told not to talk, Peter says we must obey God rather than man. So it may actually uh, count as the angel of the Lord as in... uh, Jesus, Some commentary. So they're all over the place. Either way, they're out. It's supernatural, and it's going to cause quite the confusion in the morning. It uh, says at the end of that verse uh, that the apostles start teaching at daybreak. And this is where I like to use the word meanwhile. Y'all remember the word meanwhile, don't you? Meanwhile is always interesting, or you know something's going to happen because... That's a way of saying that while the good guys are doing something, the bad guys are doing something too, or vice versa. Whether you're watching Superman or Spider-Man or Batman or He-Man, meanwhile, always means two opposing forces are working against each other, and by the end of the episode, one of them is going to be victorious over the other. So that's what we've got here. Meanwhile, the apostles are making their way to preach. They're there. It's daybreak. As soon as they open the door, they're preaching and teaching. But the the Senate is convening. Um, they send for the apostles because that's the first on the docket, only to find them missing. It should take some time for them to go find that no one's there and then someone to come back and report the findings, as we're told in the, the Scripture here, maybe long enough to get through a, a, a couple of lessons. I don't know how they structured it. Maybe the church is growing while these people are getting their their things together, an unnamed informant then tells the council that they're not, well, about the time they find out that the, the prison's empty, they say, hey, these fellas that you arrested are in the temple and they're teaching the people. So this, is, this would be, you know, kind of like perhaps a third strike, uh, depending on how the warning went before they were arrested for the second time. Now, it's tough um, to try to figure out um, if is ever meant to be funny. I think sometimes it is. It's got to be funny when you've arrested apostles, told them not to preach. They miraculously get out of jail in the middle of the night. And they're preaching while you're figuring out what to do with them. It's not funny for the officers. to have to go get them, though. Um, if you keep reading, look at verse 26. This is Acts chapter 5. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not from the prison, but from the temple area, not by force, no handcuffs, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So sentiment has changed. People are actually behind the apostles now. Uh, so the Senate, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, though there are many, and though they're powerful, they're, it looks as if they're outnumbered. Verse 27, when they would brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to to bring this man's blood upon us. All right. A couple of things there. The high priest interrogation, that's what it's called. They question them, but really we don't really read of any questions here. It's it's less about questions and has more to do with pointing out that the apostles have refused yet again to listen to their threats, not to teach. They're continuing to teach. Uh, So they... They actually, um, you know, credit them with a refusal to obey their order. At the same time, if you're a good student of the passage here, this is yet another refusal on the part of the officials to actually mention the person they're talking about. This is like the second or maybe third time in Acts. I actually see it in the Gospels too. They won't mention the name of Jesus you know, the, the, the dead guy, they think, risen. But the name is all they'll say. Don't preach in the name or this name. About the last part of verse 28, if you look back there again, you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you've intended to bring this man's blood upon us. That's, that's new. They didn't say that in the previous version. So they're actually warning them, hey, um, if you think you're going, to, if you're going to put this man's blood on, on our shoulders, you know, that's not going to work. There's history with even that line as well. If you think back to Christ's trial, and all four Gospels talk about this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, at the point where he's uh, transported back and forth between uh, Herod and Pilate, the last time he's there with Pilate, Pilate washes his hands of this whole thing when it looks as if there's going to be a riot. That, that's what it tells us. And the purpose of washing his hands is, is articulated, as if to wash the guilt of, of Christ's blood off his hands. Then we read that the chief priests, that be the Sadducees, which are speaking here, are in and among the crowd, stirring the crowd... To say we want Barabbas, right? And then when Pilate asks, so you want Barabbas rather than Jesus, then what is the crowd prompted to say? His blood be on us and our children. Jesus is handed over. Barabbas is released. And Jesus is crucified. So his blood is already on them. Though they're denying that, maybe a guilty conscience, it's kind of hard to read into their minds other than what is said. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. This is something they had said earlier, but I think it worth pausing. Just, Just paint for yourselves this image of high adventure in your mind. Same group of men who had run and fled when Jesus was arrested. They now have this boldness that we haven't seen before. They've been arrested once, charged, warned, let go. Same thing again here. They were teaching, hauled in, arrested, miraculously let go. They're being questioned again. The threats are heightening. You're not going to pin this on us. Peter simply says, we must obey God rather than men. Now, there's all types of things he could could have said. We went through this last time. Um, He didn't have to tell them the previous time that it was they who put Jesus on the cross. When they said, in whose authority have you done these things? In whose name are you teaching? They could have said, the name of uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It would have been true, but it wouldn't have been the same. They could have left out the part that they were the guilty party who handed Jesus over to Rome. It's not as if they're going to change here at all either. We must obey God. Not we must consider him or patronize him, hold theories or principles about him, uh, defend the fact of his existence as a historical figure. You know, there's a lot of things we can do and say about Jesus. There's a lot of ways we can feel about Jesus, short of actually hauling off and preaching the gospel. But until we've preached the gospel, we haven't been obedient the great commission and until the gospel's preached no one's going to listen no one's going to believe and no one's going to heaven as a result of it so peter and the apostles haven't taken one step back luke doesn't give us but so many specifics here but i think all of that can be tucked away in the we must obey god um i read this in in a commentary i thought it was worth well worth mentioning um You can think through it for yourself as always. You're smart people. Uh, Judge these things for yourself. But wouldn't you say it is when a man or a woman or a group of men, men and women, say I must or we must that we start listening or even begin to respect what they're on about? Um, Because if they've just slightly rephrased it, we ought that might be interesting, but it's not the same as we must, uh, because a man or woman may know what they ought to do and never do it, right? I mean, you only get so much credit for saying you should or you ought. You get a lot more credit for saying you must, and you get way more credit than that for actually doing what you said you must, but even in the articulation of it, must weighs a lot more than ought or should. When a man says, I must, it's way more interesting. It's actually convicting at that point. And that's what I think is the major rub between the apostles and these Sadducees, because they're for real. And the Sadducees are a bunch of fakes. Um, it's a little song we sing in Sunday school, difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees are sad, you see. Something like that. I, don't, I, I thought the song was goofy when we sang it when I was little. But they're fakes, and they know it. And that's what's convicting about all this. As a man begins to interpret his rights or his beliefs in the terms of obligation, he then begins to speak with a measure of boldness. What the apostles are saying here is we must. What the officials are saying is, well, you'll be imprisoned. What the apostles say in response is, we must. The rulers, officials say, well, then we'll make sure that you don't. The disciples still are not changing their tune. We must. And I think the same is true with the rest of us. We can make up all kinds of examples or illustrations to talk about how we know these terms and we know the difference. Um, I was a younger man, I remember dad and others talking about, hey, uh, there's a difference between uh, people who know what it's like to be a gentleman and people who just think they should be a gentleman. And dad would tell me, young ladies know the difference. It doesn't need to be explained. Um, that's a way to look at it. Let, let's, let's take it up about 10 notches and think about one that would sting. Um, and especially on a, <laughs> on a Sunday where the whole church is watching from their living rooms. We know that there's a difference between saying we should obey our Bibles, or we ought to, and a difference in saying we must obey our Bibles. What's the ones that we always use as as uh, indicators uh, as, as to whether or not this is serious or not? If we... We know we should read our Bibles. Is it should or is it must read our Bibles? Uh, evangelism and witnessing, uh, showing up for church, and just like the previous example, your kids know the difference between parents who live on the on the should plane and ought to plane and the must. Uh, there's only so much. Of trading one for the other before the underlying priority is revealed in the minds of the next generation. This is either optional or it's obligatory. Not because God said so, but because I will make sure we do these things. Uh, I, I, I thank the Lord that the apostles were, were, were must instead of ought. Or we wouldn't have anything to talk about this morning. And we wouldn't be here in the first place. The church would never have gotten off the ground. Um, look at verse thirty. He fires off with another sermon. This one's this one's a mini sermon, but it's got all the points from the previous one. The God of our fathers—that's all of us—talking to these men raised Jesus. Half the room believes in such a thing; the other does not. None of them believe that Jesus actually did. Whom you killed and hanged him on a tree. Verse thirty-one. God exalted him. That's the resurrection. He's at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. That, that's what it was all about. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given for those who obey Him. So I, I think that last point regarding the witnesses, that, that's the word I highlighted out of those handful of verses. It's as if to say to these men... You have no right to question the accuracy of what we say until you've accounted for what we are, and that's an eyewitness. It's another thing that makes a big difference, in argument, isn't it? Were you there? Did you see it? Did you hear it? Or did you hear this from someone else? Eyewitnesses are way more important in a court of law as far as witnesses go. And as far as standing in another arraignment uh, being questioned as to whether or not you're qualified to teach these things, this is the same argument that the apostles give over and over. We saw this stuff. We're only telling the truth. And as these men face the truth of what took place, another difference emerges or evolves. And that is, okay, well, if it's true, you can talk about it. Or, okay, we know it's true, and we still don't want you to talk about it. Now, wouldn't you say that, that that's when uh, the people who are in charge really go off the deep end? You know, people who are in charge kind of like to do things their way. They might have their preferences. They might have their uh, convictions and so forth. But when you go from saying, no, I think I'm going to make you do this because this is the way I like to do it. And it's just a difference between the way I like it and the way you like it. This isn't that. This is, hey, uh, we're going to suppress the truth act like it doesn't exist and do things the way we want to do them regardless of the fact that you're right and we're wrong. At some point, that is actually what's taking place. Verse 33, how do they they respond to what Peter has said? When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Usually, uh, that's how it goes. We've we've sat through history class. We know how when power uh, changes or is exchanged or uh, this or that, this is not uncommon. And really, uh, there's no neutral response to this topic. Same as the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it's an educated response, there's no neutrality. Either you believe Jesus Christ was who he said he was, that he was really God's son, that he really died on the cross, that we're really sinners and without him we're really going to be punished or with him we're really going to go to heaven. Then you either bow to him as king and submit or you reject the whole thing and you're on the other side. The whole thing's fake and he's a liar. But you can't really say, you know... What a great story. You know, we should write a book about it. Maybe Disney would want to buy it or something. No, the audacity of someone who would lie about something like that would put them in an evil category. So there's no neutrality. The apostles are going to leave here rejoicing. They're going to leave those folks in the room enraged. No neutrality between the two. The knife had cut deep again. It's at this point that a man either repents or resists. Again, uh, <laughs> it just popped into my mind. It's not like the Super Bowl. You yeah, have a few people that really get exercised, the fans, as to who wins and who loses, but for the majority of people alive on the planet, who cares? That's not this. Sadly, most of the world thinks who cares that this isn't the Super Bowl. Um, Again, this passage is not about persecution of the church. It's about the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to continue. And here's your points. We'll organize what we've seen so far right before we get to one of the last details, this man Gamaliel, and what he says and what results. Here's your points. There'll be three of them. And these are ways this passage demonstrates God's determination to build His church and carry on His word. Okay? Three ways. Acts chapter 5, verse 17 through 42, demonstrates God's determination to build His church. Number one, He may further His word by miraculous intervention. Somebody broke these men out of jail. Does he still work miracles today? I think so. Um, In the way he did during the Bible where there were signs pointing to his validity as trustworthy to prove he is who he said he was? No, because this book is finished. He doesn't need miracles like that for signs, but does he do miracles? Do things uh, happen that shouldn't have? I think so, but that's for him to decide He can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, More times than not, though, in the Scriptures, he did not rescue his men. Everybody but John is going to die a martyr's death. Uh, And that's recorded in Scripture. So, again, he, he does as he decides. But who is to say what he does? It might take place right in front of our faces, whether or not we have the insight or Foresight or sensitivity to see it. So that's an easy point. He can use the miraculous to further his word. He doesn't always, but he can. Sometimes he does. Number two, he may further his word by surprising counsel in strategic places. And this is where we get to verse 34. Uh, But a Pharisee, not a Sadducee, so he's in the minority party here, In the council, named Gamaliel, teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people. Now, it should tell you something. Everybody likes this guy. So can he be but such a principled man and everybody like him? Those politicians that everybody likes (laughs) seem to be less, uh, you know, polarizing than the others were. Some people really like him or some people really hate him. Uh, he may be better at playing chess than giving, uh, than giving advice. We shall see. Um, he was the grandson of Hillel, which was a, a, a major teacher uh, that, that we see in history books as well as the Scriptures. Uh, we'll be introduced to his student later in Acts. Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, was a student of this man. Um, Here's what he says, verse 35. Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. So be careful. And then he mentions two examples, one of Theodos and Judas. Both of them had the same thing in common. They were nobodies who became somebodies who gathered a group of people. Then they were killed for their uh, rebellion and their people were scattered. So he makes his point in verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you... Keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You might, be even, you might even be found opposing God. Exclamation point. So they took his advice. All right. Is this good advice or bad advice? Or expedient advice? I think it, it, there's wisdom here, but I don't know if this would work across the board. Can you think of an example of a bad thing that's not of God that got a lot of traction and might be still going and has been for generations? Yeah. There are false religions that have nothing to do with God that are, are, have quite mo- the momentum uh, about the Third Reich, it eventually imploded on itself, but not without major loss of life. So, uh, yeah, in the end, when all is said and done, what this man has said is true. Uh, but I'm not so sure that again he's not playing chess. He didn't call for an investigation into the truth. Let, let's let's gather more uh, witnesses and see. If we can get to the bottom of it, he didn't do that, um, but took a middle-of-the-road approach that everybody for the moment could say, okay, we'll calm down and uh, we'll see what we can do. So I think the point here, he may further his word by surprising counsel in a strategic place. God isn't limited to his own in the furtherance of the gospel. Just like miracles, he can do as he pleases as far as impressioning Whomever he chooses, uh, God can speak through those who don't know him as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see this through Scripture in, in, in different places. Do uh, you remember the story of uh, David, his son Absalom, his having to leave the, the, the city of Jerusalem, city of David, barefooted, And there is one of his men, Ahithophel, that goes over to Absalom's side and gives him counsel. And then there's this fellow called Hushai who confounds his counsel. And the Lord is working through back channels to put things back into place. Yeah, it happens. And uh, if the Lord can speak through uh, Balaam's donkey, some like to joke. (laughs) He can speak through anyone he so chooses. So that's point number two. He may further his word by surprising counsel in strategic places. But number three, he may further his word by human bravery. And that's where I think we, we, the last thought of, of our time together and what we see in this passage. I think we ought to focus on these men who are demonstrating quite the courage and bravery. When they called the apostles, after Gamaliel had said, leave them alone... It says, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They let them go last time, but they hadn't beaten them. And, and this beating, if you do your homework, this is the 40 lashes minus one to make sure they don't miscount and give more than they're supposed to give. But this was uh, this was in their law. Some of the commentators think that this is, this is the Sadducees making this order after a Pharisee had said, hey, take it easy, almost as if to say, sure, we won't kill them yet, but we'll take them close. Uh, th- this was no small thing. This was a beating. And um, that considered, look at 41, then they, that's the apostles, left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And that, of course, is of Jesus. So did they go home and disappear from the face of the earth, never to be heard of again? No. 42, every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Now, this wasn't a shock to them hadn't happened yet, but Jesus had promised, they hate me and they'll hate you. They'll bring you into their councils. They'll beat you publicly. So what Jesus had prophesied is indeed beginning. And one commentator had said, it is true that we will not be prepared to carry the gospel to the world until we're prepared to suffer unjustly for doing so. Now, it's tough for us to even relate to in America. Maybe a long time ago. Maybe not long from now. I don't know. It's different than it was just a decade or two or three ago. But I don't think we're anywhere near the word suffer. I haven't suffered. Um, but I have to wonder... And I, th- I think it's good and it's healthy to just bombard a passage of Scripture with questions as you read it. God got him out of jail miraculously. And then it looks like he has planted some counsel from a surprising place. Why didn't he spare them the beating? It's not a question of whether or not he could have spared them the beating. I firmly believe that if there's anything that ever makes its way to me or my family, it had to go past the father and son on its way to me where the spirit resides. And if it got through all three, am I to think any other thought than that it must be with great purpose? especially if it hurts. We don't like to think about this type of thing. But then again, sometimes we read our Bibles, we see that in the worst of it, that's when they seem to rejoice the most. Kind of like a situation where you learn um, a family member or someone close to you or you yourself, uh, along with a diagnosis that um, you've got less time than you thought you did. Now, that doesn't make you happy. Happy's the wrong term for that. Happy has to come with happenings. Uh, it'd be t- too shallow of a word, but there seems to be a realness that comes as far as your outlook on whatever it is you've got left and talk to someone in these situations. It, you're almost envious of a, sp- a spark that they've got that y- you might not. I don't know if that relates to this at all, but I think... It's not far off. And if we're seeking not only to understand this text, but how to obey it, what does this say to us? If we wanted to put it in a a form of a question, um, have we ever made an assessment? What does our Christianity cost us? I mean, to do it right. I would think that if we're a real true Christian, we would think that uh, we want to do this right We need to know our Bibles. We need to spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to make sure our children know these things. And we need to live in some measure separated from the world around us. Okay, put a price tag on that. What does that cost? Does it cost time? Yes. You're going to be doing some studying. Uh, Spending some time you may not necessarily have spent with people that uh, are your brothers and sisters in Christ in church. It's called a fellowship. You can't even begin to be faithful to all those one another's in the New Testament without spending time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So time, yeah, put that in there. What about money? Well, it depends on how you understand what was a standard in the Old Testament as far as a tithe that God... uh, laid down as compulsory for his children. They've got to the support a, a government on that with, with kings and a temple and all sorts of things. Adjusted out for uh, the rest of it, it was more than 10%. And then when Jesus comes along and these guys who, you know, put him to death were meticulous in making sure that they tithed all the way down to their herb garden, uh, he said, "You you should have done that, but you've kind of neglected the, the bigger things. It's the way I wanted you to think and act. So he didn't do away with that standard under grace. I think that should be a good benchmark. Um, carrying on a viable ministry is no different than keeping a house. You've got utilities at home and water bill and a light bill and clothes and food and everything else. If we're going to organize together, it'll cost something The Holy Spirit should make that clear to you. Okay, time and money. What about your reputation? Are you ready for the rest of the world to think that you're not only crazy, but maybe even pity you for being as stupid as they think you might be? I don't mean to insult anybody, but they're going to think we're crazy. That's where it starts. They wind up hating us when they think that we think that the way they act is wrong because God said so. Now, this is is not a small thing. And depending on where you live and how much of a Christian you look like, you know, you'd fly under the radar for a certain amount of time. But when it boils down to it, it's probably going to cost us something socially. And we can keep going, but... Yeah, it might be good every now and then to make an assessment as to what this costs. And does it matter if it costs little rather than much? When you're invested in something, does that not make it more precious to you? Um, from a sports team you cheer for, or maybe you didn't care anything about them until you went to that school. You've got a little skin in the game there. Or let's just say the thing that uh, our veterans carry around with them, having served our country. It's just got a little something uh, with others who've done so. It means more. Uh, Why in the world do people buy a stock that loses money and never sell it? Because they paid good money for that terrible stock, right? Sometimes we don't want to let it go because we've got skin in that stock. Until we've actually got some skin in this game known as the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't know that we'll have this stuff that we see in these apostles. And I don't don't dare think for the mind of God, but I have to wonder if this beating wasn't for a purpose. And if we aren't the beneficiaries of the suffering of these apostles, we're certainly the beneficiaries of the sufferings of Jesus. That's how he paid for our sins. And this is how these men got the gospels point across to more people than others. So it might be a good thing to have at least some cost. We are talking the other day about the, our, our kids and uh, this thing that they're going to be doing. And... Uh, There was this um, piece of equipment that they needed to do it. And uh, as a parent, sometimes you have the option of whether or not to buy it for them or let them hand over their cold, hard cash from walking dogs or opening Christmas cards, right? (laughs) One or the other. And at this point, I thought, you know, it might be a little better for them to be a little more bought in. That's just my assessment. We don't get kids to practice on this parenting thing. Sometimes you have to just kind of go with the way that, that feels best. So if our Heavenly Father, who's perfect and wise and just and couldn't love us more or less, is going to add to our life things that hurt, we better be ready to understand that it's for our own good. Somehow it fits. It all works out together. And it may be that we need prompting in some position of witness. And it should be of value to us. So, counted worthy to suffer. That's the line that I think sort of titled this message. Counted worthy to suffer. Do we find ourselves counted worthy to suffer? If suffering's coming down the pike, are, are we willing to to think on that positively as, as actually being counted. When the Lord's looking on how to, how to work here, and this unstoppable gospel that will go to the ends of the world until He's determined it's the end of the age, are we glad to be counted or somebody else get counted? And whatever that word suffering means, you know, this church is probably positioned as well as any other to be effective for the cause of Christ. We've got people moving into this town as if there's some conveyor belt just bringing them. And whether or not this church makes a dent in this culture around us for the gospel of Jesus has a lot to do with whether or not we're counted worthy to suffer. Whether that means less of time to spend somewhere else or less money to spend somewhere else or less of our a reputation to boast about somewhere else. We got to decide. Um, there's a lot of inflation to adjust for here. Counted worthy of a beating in Acts five, might just be counted worthy to show up to teach kids or a Sunday school class, or to open your Bible, take out a pen and make notes. But to be counted among God's children, as witnesses. Nobody's going to take us serious until they perceive we've been with Jesus. We're a witness. So, we'll understand better and we'll give God the glory. Well, I think we've covered this passage. I think we can say we understand. So, let's pray that we can obey. Father in heaven, Thank you for again.